I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In September 2018, Azusa Pacific University, a Christian liberal arts college in the San Gabriel Valley of California, dropped a long-standing policy of preventing students from engaging in same-sex relationships. According to Aaron Green, leader of Brave Commons, an LGBTQ advocacy organization, the previous rule had unfairly singled out LGBTQ students. Queer students are just as able to have romanticized relationships that abide by APU's rules, she said via APU's campus media outlet. The code falsely assumed that same-sex romances always involved sexual behavior. Days after the policy change, APU's board of trustees reversed the changes. As a graduate of Azusa Pacific University, I was particularly interested in this story, especially as it relates to my evolution of thinking about same-sex relationships and marriage. Hold on, Tim. What does this have to do with disability and inclusion? Well, I promise I will get there. Growing up an evangelical Christian, I held conservative views of marriage and sexual identity. Things started to change for me when I began interacting with the disability community, some of whom expressed that they were a quote-unquote autistic queer or transgender disabled person. When a person has autism, it is from birth. It is how you're wired. Someone or something cannot make you autistic. In the same way, I began to see that sexual identity was something that you were born with. And I knew how I thought about same-sex relationships and marriage had to change. It was also at this time that I went through a huge deconstruction of my own faith. I questioned everything, including the existence of God, that there was even a person named Jesus, and chalked up my spiritual experiences to psychological manipulation. Since then, my faith remains, but it looks much different, more inclusive. I strive for finding the common ground between people around me, even if they have a different faith background. This includes sexual identity and disability. How could I be promoting inclusion for people with disabilities and not do the same for people of different faiths or sexualities? 
I asked Erin Green of Brave Commons to share with us what she thinks the biggest barrier to inclusion for LGBTQ students at Christian universities. And here's what she had to say. Um, I think the biggest barrier is is isolation. And Christian universities and faith communities don't realize that they do this, but when they're non-affirming or when they force um, they basically force someone to live an illusion and to live a lie. So if, if your message as a Christian church or a university is that we only validate heterosexual couples as, you know, genuine couples and, you know, erase the identity of being gay or trans or something like that. It's incredibly isolating. And I've, I've been there, so I'm speaking from a place of experience and and. Um, hopefully being a voice for for other folks who are in this situation now, but you pretend to be something that you're not. And in order to be safe in that space, because you're worried about what people are going to say or do or how they're going to judge you. So there's this immediate um, loneliness, you know, like, and you're being blocked from connecting with people with with saying who you are and having people love you for who you are and you're trying to fit into this culture or ideology that isn't necessarily something that's forced upon us from the bible in the first place um so we're taking away the ability for someone to connect fully in community and that's probably one of the most harmful things we could do to a human being um, because even in the Bible, it says, you know, it's not good for a human to be alone. And that's one of the ways we're able to survive and thrive is to have community and friendship and love and people showing us affection and having hugs and, you know, things like that. Um, and we potentially deprive someone of that basic human need, you know. Um, so I think I think that is a huge danger because that, that person will start to, and I did this as well, internalize self-hatred or homophobia, basically. You internalize it and you hate yourself because you can't live up to the standard or you'll never be what the church expects you to be or says you will be if you pray hard enough. So we become depressed, isolated, have anxious thoughts, insomnia, suicidal ideation, propensity for drug and alcohol abuse. I mean, all these things happen to that person that we do that to. So these are the things we have to kind of look out for. But just even having non-affirming language, this is what it starts to produce in someone. And it's like we're slowly killing them on the inside, you know. Um, So that's a huge threat to... um, someone who identifies as LGBTQ and just so happens to be in those spaces. In March of 2019, Azusa Pacific removed their ban on same-sex relationships for the second time after six months of student organizing and community pressure. With news of the second ban removal, students and alumni are hopeful. This is an opportunity to continue to hold APU accountable, Green says, noting that Brave Commons will continue to monitor the situation as it develops 
and organize for equity for all members of the LGBTQ community at Azusa Pacific and across the country. To learn more about the work of Brave Commons and the organizing at Azusa Pacific University, visit bravecommons.org. Today on the podcast, my interview with Mike McCarg, speaker and author of Finding God in the Waves, host of Ask Science Mike podcast, and a contributor to the Liturgist podcast. We talk about his recent diagnosis of autism and his thoughts about how disability, sexual identity, and faith intersect. After a short break, my interview with Science Mike. Hi, I'm Mike McCarg, and you're listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. What has the experience been like for you identifying as an adult with autism? And do you think that it would have been beneficial for you to have known that earlier or was it better to find out later? I think I was really resistant to the idea at first. Uh, My wife has said for years that she suspected I was on the spectrum and I would always get pretty offended when she would say that uh, because I thought she was basing that on media tropes of what autism looks like. So I'm, uh, I, I can be eccentric. <laughs> uh, I'm gifted in, you know, really particular and specific types of cognition and memory. Um, and so often kind of the media narrative around people with autism, if they are, um, if they're portrayed at all is either, um, you know, kind of rain man level, um, difficulty functioning in the everyday world um, and limited conscious awareness or people with autism are depicted as kind of being um, absent-minded professors that are extremely brilliant in one particular area. And although there can be people with autism who look like that media narrative, uh, that ignores a wide, wide range of lived experiences with people with autism. It, it causes underdiagnosis rates among women uh, with autism, uh, underdiagnosis rates for uh, people of color. So the autism gets overly conflated with white men. And so when my wife would say she thought I was on the spectrum, I thought she was just applying a media trope to me. Uh, But then, you know, a couple of people who are um, actually credentialed in diagnosing autism suggested to me that I could be on the spectrum. I took that a lot more seriously and um, I actually went to an autism testing center, uh, which was a strange experience because that environment was completely oriented towards children. (laughs) Uh, You know, like I walk in the waiting room and there's... just 
like play areas. It looked like a daycare. It did not look like a, a medical facility or a psychologist's office at all. Um, and you know, it's a long story, but I ended up going all the way to a diagnosis, starting with just a, a professional opinion from a clinical psychologist. Um, and I actually found it a relief because there were so many things in my life that didn't make sense to me. Um, I'm, I'm a small time public figure and, um, part of my work in, in, in my public work is living in a very kind of vulnerable way, being very honest about what I'm going through with people, uh, kind of in solidarity, honestly. But there were things I didn't tell anyone that happened in my life. Um, the way I tend to spin in circles in my office chair when I'm in my office alone or the, the noises I make in my throat or the, the times that I have meltdowns because my routine or schedule changes. Those, those are things that, as I observed other people in my life, um, it seemed like they didn't have the same difficulties dealing with routine changes that I do. So for some people, everyone has some degree of, uh, of routine. But for me, if my routine gets disru disrupted, it is uh, incredibly challenging. And can I can have these kind of uh, just emotional breakdowns, these meltdowns that are very severe and that I'm ashamed of. And so there, you know, a lot of things like that all started to make sense under this diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. But as you mentioned, I wasn't diagnosed as a child, which is the most common and frankly easiest way to be diagnosed with autism. And I, I think I'm glad that I wasn't diagnosed as a child, mainly because I grew up in the 1980s. And I just don't know, one, that how autism was defined in the 80s, if I would have fit the diagnostic criteria. And two, if I had, I don't know that um, the way the education system approached the needs of children with autism in the 1980s would have been helpful. I think uh, that actually could have been very detrimental. Um, so I think for me, things played out in, in as close to an ideal way as possible. I'm really interested in, in your perception um, being a person that was educated in, in like special or separate classes. Well, I mean, the problem was um, in the eyes of my teachers and adults in my life, I was a bright child, but that didn't show up in the classroom. I had trouble writing. I had difficulty reading. I had a great deal of difficulty interacting socially with other children uh, to the point that in kindergarten, uh, my presence was a disruption. I was teased so severely and so often in kindergarten that the teacher couldn't uh, proceed with the class. Um, so the, the teacher would put the class in timeout, <laughs> which meant I had to go sit by myself. It was, I was in timeout, but she used inverse language uh, and, and was obviously exasperated with the other students, um, but didn't know how to stop the behavior. And as that moved into first grade, and I still had just great difficulty uh, writing, especially. 
uh, I started spending, you know, a couple hours a day in a separate, much smaller classroom. Um, I don't remember a lot about it. I was very young. I remember that one of the other students in the room was wearing a helmet. And um, there'd be much more individualized attention. And we mainly worked on reading and writing. And uh, so for, you know, first grade, second grade, a little of third grade, I always had this um, this time in this other classroom. And then around third grade, I caught up enough um, that they stopped taking me into that classroom. My grades were still terrible. I still struggled uh, with writing especially. Mm-hmm. Um, do, uh, may I ask you a qu- may I sure. ask you a question about the writing? Um, in the, the um, because because I I spend a lot a lot of time with students, uh, especially on the spectrum. Writing is one of the most difficult things um, for students uh, who have who have, who have autism, and and so. Um, not many, but some teachers will interpret that a student isn't writing because of, well, they just don't want to do it. And so I'm that's wondering. That's what they thought about me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was wondering if, uh, if, if that was something that they told you, or was ex- was you know told to your parents. We had nothing but teacher conference, teacher conference, teacher conference, with parents telling my my teachers telling my parents that I was bright and lazy over and over and over. He's bright. He just won't do the work. He won't write. Um, and I would tell the teachers and tell my parents that writing was very, very difficult. It was hard to do. And they would say, well, it's hard for everyone. People just do it anyway. Uh, I'm 40 years old. And I would still struggle to write a full paragraph of text by hand. Um, The lifeline for me came when computers entered the school system. And when I could type instead of write, I was much, much, much better. Um, And over time, I actually, kind of later in middle school, uh, went from okay at writing to exceptional but only if I can use a keyboard. Um, And I understand that autism is primarily understood as a developmental delay. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen over and over in my life is uh, things click for me. They just click way later than they do for everyone else. Mm -hmm. There's things that have clicked for me in my 30s and my 40s that clicked for my peers in middle school or elementary school, um, which is, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, wow, so that's how people do this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, it really, school was a lot harder for me than it needed to be. Right. Based on the fact that people didn't under, that no amount of making me write is going to make me able to write like other people. It, it just, it won't happen. Right. Um, 
all, all it does is make me feel frustrated and confused and tired and overwhelmed. It did as a child. It does today. If I go to a doctor's office and there's a form to fill out, um, that's going to be a bad day. <laughs> um, if, if my wife goes with me, if she generally does, she fills the form out. Um, she gets it. And she's always gotten it, even before the diagnosis. Uh, that It's harder for me than other people. In, in the discussion of inclusion and inclusive education, um, I, I didn't know if you had any thoughts or wanted to weigh in on that as well. I don't, I don't want autistic people to be siloed from the rest of the world. I don't want them to be isolated. Uh, but to me, that means the way forward is not creating increasingly insular communities and sidelining people on the spectrum or any intersection of identity, but instead all of us working together to create a society where uh, we're better at understanding and dealing with the all the different ways people happen and people are. As your faith evolved in your story, um, did you also feel like you were being open to other things like disability or um, gender identity or, you know, and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, for me, the inclusive journey started with sexuality and gender. Um, as my old assumptions about scripture fell away, I, I didn't have any non-scriptural basis with which to object to same-sex marriages. And then that led me to learn more about gender. I mean, at first I conflated sex and gender all the time. Didn't understand any, any subtlety or any difference. And I learned about intersex people, and I was, wow. Um, and honestly, frankly, um, intersex folks and the issues they face starts to brush up against ableism. Um, and so then I started to look at, um, inclusion, uh, in, in the context of disability. I'd always thought about it in terms of race, but I could certainly be guilty of, um, post-racial notions of inclusion. Um, but you know, these days, the way I read the Bible uh, I just understand that the authors of the Bible believe things I don't believe, and they lived in cultures I don't live in. And so I, I'm not a, a go-to-the-Bible-for-simple-answers kind of person. Uh, to me, a, a read, a credible read of the Bible requires pretty significant academic expertise, um, and that there's room for discussion and debate uh, on what the Bible says about anything, and then on most things, the Bible says several things, even contradictory things, and that's not a flaw in that beautiful old library. Uh, to me, it's a it's a strength that it tells so many stories of faith, and that the arc of it. Um, if there's one thing the Bible does continuously, it is push on assumptions about inclusion. Whatever context any specific part of the Bible was written in, it pushed against notions of exclusion 
in that context. Uh, and so to me, that's a valuable lesson the Bible teaches me about inclusion and, and, and who belongs and who doesn't. What would you like and in, in just have a dream for the future uh, for, for the next 10 to 20 years for uh, disabled people? What, you know, how would you like for the world to be different? I'd hope that as a society that we decide that accommodation matters and that it matters enough that people are willing to make personal changes and structural changes to accommodate people. Uh, how many people resent the number of handicap accessible parking spaces in a given parking lot? How many small business owners complain about the expense of ADA compliance in their building? How many older buildings rely on exemptions to skirt the requirements for accessibility? I mean, the most wonderful moment I have had in recent years was uh, watching an autistic man sing beautifully on stage in a church. And when he finished singing, people started to clap. And he raised his hands to his ears um, in obvious discomfort. So someone in the third row or so started waving their hands instead of clapping. And then that spread across the entire room. And it moved me to tears because that is the kind of behavior we all need to emulate uh, in order to make a more inclusive society. Realize with sensitivity when our well-intentioned actions cause others harm or discomfort and then actively look for solutions to alleviate it. If you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of my interview with Aaron Green from Brave Commons or Science Mike, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Follow the Think Inclusive podcast on the web at thinkinclusive.us and tell us what you thought of the podcast via Twitter at inclusive underscore pod on Facebook or Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. We love to know that you were listening. Also a reminder that you can support the Think Inclusive podcast via Patreon or Anchor.fm with a monthly contribution so that we can continue to bring you in-depth interviews with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. On that note, thank you to Patreon's Donna L., Kathleen T., and Veronica E. for their continued support of the podcast. Also, a special shout out to my producer and love of my life, Brianna. The only person I would run through an airport for is you. Thank you to my boys. You know who you are for your feedback and suggestions. It is greatly appreciated. Aren't you glad you didn't take Saquon in the first round? Next time on the Think Inclusive podcast. These kids are in the general education classroom. They are with the general education teachers and general education teachers cannot realistically say this, is this has got to be somebody else's job.
it's their job. Thanks for your time and attention. See you next time. This has been a production of Think Inclusive, LLC. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.